0: listener production howdy you are listening to episode 73 part b of the howie games featuring michael vaughan if you haven't already listened to part a stop go back and listen to that first okay on with the show so the first test comes to pass massive build-up and you absolutely smoked here we go first test uh, at Lords, Australia won by 239 mm. runs. I remember in Australia watching the pub thing and right, the Poms are serving up what they usually do. Yeah. This will be a three or four nil. Um, and then
1: Edgepiston. Yeah, well, the first game was, was great for one thing because it sprung us into life. Um, the most important aspect of that we, that, we got 20 wickets. You know, England against Australia, first test, generally six or seven wickets you get 600 <laughs> lose <laughs> by 300 but we lost by plenty but we'd got 20 wickets and not one Australian got a century so that was a real plus and Kevin Peterson arrived and Kevin got two 50s and smashed them up to all parts
0: 57 and 64 and it's the out.
1: only time i stood up in the group and gave them a real rollicking right. at the end of the game and it wasn't to do with it, it was to do with mentality I just felt we were scared and that's the one thing that I never <clears throat> never wanted my teams to be was scared Never, ever wanted them to go out and think, if I do this and it goes wrong, I'm going to get a rollicking or what the press going to say? That was something, as a captain, I tried to completely clear out. I didn't give a damn as long as we had a pop, as long as they took the the Aussies on. So I said, look, we're lucky. We've got eight days to go and get your minds right. No one do anything. Don't react. And I announced, I mean, I shouldn't have done it at the time because obviously I'm a selector but I'm not there to just say the 11. But I announced the team for the next test. I said, none of you worry. There'll be all sorts of kind of stories saying, you might not play, you, you're playing. I said, we're going to go again. I said, but we're going to be aggressive. I said, and when we get the bat in hand, I said, if Shane Warne pitches one up, we're going to launch him. I said, if McGrath pitches one up, we're going to launch him. We're not going to do what we did here, sit on the back foot and kind of play timid. We're just going to go for it. I said we might get bowled out for 100. I said, but there's no way we're playing in that fashion. I said, the bowler's great, did a great job. You'll go again next week, be aggressive, get into the faces. so put but as a batting unit, just for the next eight days, just think about scoring runs. Just think about hitting them, because it's the only way we can beat them. You know, if you actually looked at... And the, the only science that I looked at with Australia around that time, they were bowling the opposition out in around. Seventy-eight to 81 overs on average and that was over the course of four or five years in the first innings. <clears throat> we were taking about 115 they were scoring at about I think 3.4s and we were scoring about 2.6s hmm. so just the science was that you know they were scoring quicker and we were scoring slower so we'd have to bat a lot longer than them and they were used to bowling teams out in 8 hours so I said in our minds, against that kind of thing. We've got to work out a plan of how many we can get in that 80-over period. And if we're back longer, great, but we've got to be aggressive for 80-overs. And that was the whole focus going to Edgbaston that We arrived and I, I gave a similar speech two days before and the coach was looking at me going, this could go awfully wrong. I said, what went wrong last week? I said, so I'm willing to take that risk. And let's just see, let's try and free them. I don't want them to feel any pressure that... They're worried about the place, uh, worried about the series. This is like a, a free reign, free just go and have a pop. And then we got lucky on the morning, obviously, with, you know, I've never seen an England team celebrate someone being stretched off the pitch at <laughs> half nine before. <laughs> but when Glenn McGrath was being stretched off. Shot on a ball. A load of low fives going around the group. We trying to stay, like, cool for school. And then Triscothic, massive smiles, like a big batch of sausages in the right <laughs> No McGrath. Like, oh. And then Ricky at the toss decides to have a ball. I don't know if you've seen the DVD, but you see my face. I've never grabbed a captain's hand. It's quick in all my time. It was a dryish wicket. There's a bit of moisture in overhead, and I think Ricky probably thought oh, they batted that badly at Lords. You know, I know he's been absolutely cane for that decision since, but you can actually understand why he did it because of the way we played at Lords, his team. But no McGrath, and we just
0: went out of that open day and pelted him. We got 400 in 80 overs. 407 for 90. Australia applied with 308. Then you guys get knocked over cheaply. The King gets six for 46. England all out for 182. So Australia was set somewhere around the 280 mark and you had them in all sorts of trouble. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that, that, it was a great game. We,
1: well, We couldn't play any better. And there were so many like, little... Fractions to that game that you look back on. You know, the last wicket partnership between Flintoff and Simon Jones in the second inch got us to a target that we could defend that over that Freddie bowled to Ricky Ponson, Just, Justin Langer wicket, and then the four balls that he bowled to Ricky with him getting uh, out of that last ball was incredible. Cricket. The Armisen's, slow, Armisen's never bowled a slow ball, he'd never bowled one before, he'd never bowled one since. Got Michael Clarke the third night bowled. You know, the crowd on the Sunday morning, Warney coming out and flicking a few, and then Bingalee getting pelted.
2: And Brett Lee and Michael Kasparovic have now put on 59 for the last wicket. And incredibly, Australia only needs three more runs to win the test.
0: So Edgbaston, it was an incredible win, obviously, at the end when it was Kasparovic. Yeah, glove down the leg
1: side, catch for Girup Jones. Um, and you
0: on the field at that point?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, what an epic performance, just three to win now. The crowd can barely move or speak. Harmison bowls to Kaspovich short. He fends it at court. He's given him. Jones has taken the catch. Kaspovich is out. And England have won the second test by two runs. Kaspovic can't believe it. I'm not sure anyone can. But what a finish.
1: Yeah, I was uh, at mid-off just... And then I ended up pulling Freddie's ears in celebration. But if we'd have lost that game, I reckon we'd have lost 5-0. You're right. The players that had been flat as farts, so they'd have gone. Um, what what was important for me is that, you know, I was always encouraging the players to get to know the Aussies. I want us to know who they were. Mm-hmm. I knew a lot in terms of the research I'd done pre-series because we'd had a lot of overseas pros playing in England, and I knew, and I'd had a, a document about every player, and it wasn't about the, the game, it was about them. And I'm a big believer in, in, in cricket sport leadership that you need to know who you're leading. So when you become a captain, you know, I look at young captains and they, they try and work the tactics first and foremost. My encouragement to any young captain is you, you've got to know you, who you're leading. You've got to find out the people that you're leading. So go out your way to find out who the human being is. It's not the cricket, you can see the cricket, the cricketer of left arm over or right, arm over, he bowls or he bats and he averages X or Y, but you've got to find out who the person is. And that, that was something that my dad always told me about leadership. He said, if you're going to lead people, you've got to know the people you're leading. Mm. So I went out of my way to find out who my people were, you know, all my players. And I wanted to know what motivated them, uh, what encouraged them, what made them nervous, what the family life was, what hobbies they had, um, you know, what anxieties they had, what made them nervous and worried. You know, what were their goals? You know, Were, were they playing the game just for the love of it? Were they playing for money? Were they playing for stats? I didn't mind what it was, but I needed to know. So I could just trigger them into action on pressure moments or pressure days and on the reverse I encouraged us to to find out who Australia were so as much as we had all the documents of every player giving us insight of who they were who they were mates within the Aussie team who wasn't quite as matey as maybe we thought they were because there's a team that looked like a juggernaut but in any team there's always fractions there's always personalities that clash even the great great teams and we knew everything and when we won that game we had all the Aussies in the dressing room and I encouraged every player to stay. I said, stay, and we find out more. And we make sure that, you know, we sit with Gilly, we sit with Warney. and you'll end up going, they're great guys. And I didn't warn you a good laugh. So when he's actually bowling the week after, you can just think, mate, he'll abuse you, he's going to abuse you, whatever you do, you're playing golf, poker, whatever, but you can look him in the eye and go, but, mate, you're a, you're a decent lad. You know, you're right. like, quite humorous. All right, you're a great leg spinner, but it's a lot easier to face players like that when you actually know who they are. Before in 2003, we were encouraged not to speak to Australians, the players. And I think you're putting, particularly yeah. when you're playing against that quality, you're putting them on this pedestal that you think, God, they're aliens, they're unbelievable. So I encourage
0: the players to, to try and find out a bit more about them. you little document, your dossier about the Australians' personalities, can you give me a couple of just lines for various players or not? Like, for example, Matty Hayden? <laughs> yeah, well, look, we, we knew
1: Hayden and Langer were close. We knew they were close, um, we knew there was a, a couple of issues with with warney and, and a couple of the players um,
0: what were the thoughts on Panther as a person
1: The document said you' got to wind him up right try and get him into the battle and wind him up
0: okay McGrath
1: McGrath just try and hit him for boundaries he'll get wound up but Ricky one was was interesting because if, if you look at that series. And he was under pressure because I think for the first time, the Aussies fell after and They were up against an England team that was was going to play strong and we were going to attack and we weren't going to back down. That was probably evident to them in the one-day series prior (laughs) that we we kind of went toe-to-toe with them in that series. Um, And if you go back to that series and, and... what really I found hard about playing against Ricky was he, he was like my hero. Hmm. He's the one player that I used to try and emulate. So I'm at mid on and I'm telling my team, get into him. You know, let's try and wind him up. And then the other thing went, it's Ricky Ponty. <laughs> 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 it's Ricky Ponty. He's like, like he's, he's great. And I'm going to say, got to keep getting into him, keep winding him up. You know, it, and he, he knew we were doing it, but like throwing the ball into the keeper, he hated it if it fizzed past his ears hated it so I said keep doing it got to keep just got to try and break his mentality he's too good you know just little things like you know you go to Trent Bridge when he spat at the coach when he was run out by Gary Pratt the substitute fielder Yeah, he was, and he was pointing it, I knew then
2: I knew that we'd done the job. Flint off to Martin, he plays it into the covers, sets off for a single. Ponting will have to hurry here, shot off the stumps, hits! And Ponting, I think he's short of his ground. It's the substitute, Gary Pratt! And the Australian captain has run out. Ricky Ponting is not happy. He seems to be gesturing at the English coach on his way off.
1: And I knew that we'd, we'd riled him enough that it was our series to win then. And as much, you need so much luck when you're playing, when you're playing those great, you need your team to be able to take the mentality on. You need the players and individuals, particularly, you know, you look at Peterson and Flintoff, wonderful players, and Flintoff just got on a roll after Edgbast and he found common, once Freddie found confidence. He had a real difficult game at Lords, and then suddenly at at edge and got a couple of fifties, bowled that over and he was just going. So So it was important that, you know, it's all right me talking about dossier, it's all right Mm. saying I I install or we installed a a mentality, but you need players, you need bowlers. You know, and I had four fantastic scene bowlers and we won the toss. Yeah. You know, we batted first. You know, I just think when you're playing that great team, it was all our remit was bat first, get a number even if it was just two fifty, three hundred. at least it's the number. And just see. And we'll give the ball to the likes of Harmy, Freddie, Simon Jones and Hoggy. Ashley Giles will toil away and, and we'll try and put them under some pressure.
0: I think the, the one that was under enormous pressure, and he talked about it on the very first episode of the Howie Games with Gilly, and he talked right. about it as the first time in his entire career, that he was doubting himself because Freddie would go round the wicket yep. and just kept getting him out. And Gilly just said, you know... He,
3: it absolutely destroyed him. We had Annie, our second child. So we had Harry and Annie at that stage. Yep. Annie, Annie had a first birthday in Nottingham, actually. Um, so, so you're trying to live two lives. Trying to, I was trying to be, mate, I was trying to be a, a vice-captain, a batsman, a keeper, a husband and a father, and I was doing a pretty shit job at all,
0: yeah, I okay.
3: realised, by the end of it. Um, culminating in Manchester which was, what, the third test. That, that, that's my worst memory for me in test cricket is that test and just that period. Um, worst test match in my career. You know, and that's saying something given in Calcutta in 2001. Mm. I got a king pair and basically squatted up and down two and a half thousand times in between those two deliveries <laughs> <laughs> and watched BVS Laxman's backside as he compiled in a record In 42 score. degrees. So um, that was a positive experience. <laughs> that tells you how well I was going in, <laughs> <laughs> in Manchester. in Manchester. But, um, but I was dropping catches and, and just fumbling and batting and walked out there and thought, oh, this is... I might as well not even bat because... Freddie's coming on again, and Simon Jones was hooping him around the corner. You that cooked him, I was not even oh, bad. I was cooked. So, you need bowlers to be able to
1: put the likes of Gilchrist under pressure. He, he was just too good. He just he batted England for many, many years. And Freddie was the perfect bowler for, for Gilly. You know, round the wicket time, gets that bounce. Gilly's always going to take the drive on. And we as a team just decided just pack the offside, just pack the gully area. And he can keep it in it through us. But we believe that if Freddie just got the ball and moved, which he did, and Gilly keeps swinging, which he was always going to, there was always a chance that some of those balls were going to get a hand.
2: Flintoff in again at Gilchrist. He's looking to run this through the gully. Caught! Oh, caught magnificently by Strauss at second slip. And Flintoff has got Gilchrist again.
1: You know, you look at series previous, England probably didn't have that that skill of, mm. of, of, of Freddie Flintoff to be able to create that angle and also Gilly got two or three that went through the gaps and over the top and he was that kind of player that once he was away he was oh. going and then we got him early at Lords a couple of times and he then got out to ask the Giles at Edgebast and caught me we, down we, we, we encouraged the bowlers to believe that when we're facing attacking players like Gilly we'd go on the attack you know don't worry about the ball going to the boundary because it's going to go anyway So we'll go on the attacking sense in terms of putting fielders in catching positions and just try and get them out. And if it costs us 30 runs doing so, we'll do it. So we have to look at the the mindset of getting the likes of of Gilchrist out. And You know, it it worked. I mean, it was a batch of balls that were swinging as well. I mean, people talk about, you know, we put a bit of sugar on the ball. You know, every team in the world was doing it at the time and and, and still does, and I think it's fine. But the fact is, there's no scientific proof that that works. It was just a batch of balls that... Swung and also reverse swung. You know, there was just a dry summer, dry pitches. Get a few runs on the board, lob it to the likes of Freddie and Co. And the rest is history.
0: Third test, Old Trafford, Manchester, England, 444, Australia, 302. England, 6 for 280, declared Australia. Hung on, 9 for 371 and celebrated a draw.
1: Yeah. That was, again, leadership's instinctive. You know, you can't plan. That much. I mean, tactically, you have, a, you have an awareness and a and a, I used to visualise field sets, and bowling changes, and and combinations for certain players. And my belief is, captaincy is about making it as awkward as you can for the opposition. So whoever comes out. Make that initial twenty-ball period as awkward as you possibly can. So you put the combinations onto that batsman that he would least like to face at that moment. Mm-hmm. And when he's in, you know, you've got to just kind of vary it a bit. But that first twenty balls of any batting, um, new start, is so important. And that's what we we try to do in that series. But throughout the series, I, I, I because we'd we'd heard a bit about the Aussies that they were starting to have a bit of inner fighting. You know, we'd heard that Buchanan was not getting on with. Warning. we you know, you know everything as a team and I went back to 2002-03 where they battered us alright we won the last test in Sydney and we ended up going into the dressing rooms and we were having beers at the SCG and it was great Steve I actually got the chance to speak to Steve Waugh for a bit and he's, he's an idol of mine I just think he's a, a wonderful player I know he, for some reason he gets criticised for being selfish I mean I, I don't see that I just see a great great cricketer and a wonderful leader hard leader And I remember sitting with the Aussies and I felt that they were talking to us in a way that they were talking down to some of the England players. And I felt that it was almost, you you guys overcomplicate it. You know, you just watch the ball and hit it. You know, you're not positive enough. You count your games full of excuse. And I was listening to some of this and I was like, well, not too sure. I think some of it's true, but I'm not too sure all of it's true. You've just got to be a little bit respectful that in the minute you've got a great team. And at the minute, we don't have a great team. But we might have one, one day. Mm. So be, be respectful. And when I saw the Aussies celebrating, for some reason, it triggered my mind to that dressing room.
2: So just one ball remains. Can Brett Lee see out this final delivery? Hammerson bowls. Brett Lee, he's done it. He survives. He turns it on the onside. Australia holds on for a draw. More drama in this series. And look at the balcony! Amazing scenes there from the Aussies. They're celebrating like it's a victory. Thinking,
1: wait a minute, it was only two years ago I was in that dressing room and they were belittling us. Hmm. Look at them. They're on that dressing room, jumping up and down. They've drawn. We've just played a great game of cricket, dominated every single session, bar one on the side of the way Warner got us with the bat. You made 166. Yeah, got a bit fortunate. Yeah, dropped. Bowled off a no ball. Gilly dropped me the next ball. Oh, a lot to Gilly, actually. He's done well for me. <laughs> Dropped me, got 100. Played Paul in the Ashes in 05, thanks. <laughs> Did nice to
0: get me a Fox contract yeah, in Australia. a Nice, big, juicy one. Yeah, cheers, Gilly. Um, so you get to the fourth test. England make 477. Australia out for 218. Follow-on of 387. So you just need 129 to take a 2-1 lead in the Ashes, Vaughan. Wickets fall. Warney, 4 for 31 How are you in the dressing room when the wickets are falling When you're potentially losing the unlosable Which is, from my point of view, what England always used to do
2: Warn, into Strauss, and he's taken Clark takes the catch and slip warner has got a third wicket And England are stumbling badly
1: Yeah, and I think the Aussies got that wrong Because Warney should have opened the bowling He thinks so as well He should have because we got off to a flyer. We got to 30, I think, for none. If one needed to open the bowling because it was ragging and it was just, it was awkward. And, and I was panicking because it obviously enforced the follow-on. Just gone with the emotion of the game rather than probably taking a step back. Simon Jones had just got six for, got the team. And Jones, he was on the bow, uh, on the boundary having a drink. So I got the team and, go and said, come on, what do you want to do? And I, I think that's what you do as a captain. As to enforce the follow-on. Yeah, and I that. looked in their eyes and... All of them went, we're going for it. We'll go again. The crowd were going nuts. So I went, you sure? And they went, yeah. I said, brilliant. I'll back that. Let's go. We'll get them back out there. And Sam Jones was on the, ba- on the boundary having a drink. So we kind of had the conversation. He'd gone, yeah, do it. We go off, come back out. Jonesy just got six. I gave him the new said, Come on, Jonesy, go again. I think he's three balls into his first belly. Oh, I'm injured, mate. I was like, oh, what?
0: Come on, Jonesy. I
1: went, come on. Pal. He goes, "Walked well, off." off? That's it, he's done. He never played for England again never played again his ankle had gone so clearly we're, we're one lie, and that's why Gary Pratt was on the pitch so as much as we did try and wind the Aussies up in terms of bringing fielders on because I knew it was winding Ricky up I'm sorry Rick but that was just our tactic around that time to try and get into that that great mindset of that team Gary was on for Simon Jones you know he just happened to be a brilliant fielder fielding at cover point just happened good captain we just got a bit lucky there but no, yeah. yeah Simon never played again and then the Aussies they were looking that Simon Cattage got a stinker of an LB. Stinker. I think Damian Martin might have had a stinker as well. Again, this this year of DRS, they wouldn't have been out. And I reckon if those two have not been given out, we'd have been chasing 200-plus, and that's game done and dusted. And I always think when you're chasing, there's a real concern when Matthew Hoggard's padding up. <laughs> Whatever you're chasing, as soon as you see the Hogster with his pads on, you know there's a worry around the dressing room. But he was the cool calm. Was he? playing player out in the middle? he got the played a cover drive off Bingalee, four. And the wheelie been Ashley Giles, who, at the start of the, the series, after that initial loss at Lords, there was a few articles, but one, I think David Houghton said, England are a ten-man team. You know, Ashley Giles does nothing. And he was out there at the end, knocking the final runs. He bowled nicely.
2: Two to win, it's been a nervous chase, but an eager Giles waits for Shane Warne, who bowls full, and he clips it away through mid-wicket for the winning runs. England lead the series two one with one test to play,
1: and that's what the the team kind of did. We had superstars in Flintoff and, and Peterson, but the rest Strauss, Just Gothic, uh, Ian Bell, even you know the youngster at the time I think he was about twelve. Belly, I mean, five, at, yeah, be ten. Get him in young,
0: Warney was calling him the Shermanator, yeah,
1: Shermanator, yeah,
0: and, and and you know they all contributed. You know, every bowler had their spell. Uh, Did you believe at 2-1 with one test to go? Yeah. You thought we were going to win the Ashes? Yeah. Did you allow yourself that thought? No. Well, I did. I didn't tell anyone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, you're still panicking and and worried that, you know, that great Australian team could steamroll us at the Oval. But, no, I just felt, I mean, it it all became very uh, surreal for the team because I was going into press conferences and, you know, you go into press conferences, you know everybody in cricket. Now, this was hitting the country because I was going to be on the hundreds there so and not it, just your cricket journals nah, we were on the front page the back page this is being watched by 8 million people a day hmm. you know, wherever we went we were being followed you know, cricket became really cool and it became popular and it became you know, you go to Old Trafford there was 10,000 locked out on the last day I know the Aussies thought, they thought there was a bomb scare when they <laughs> arrived with the bus there was that many people outside the ground and the atmosphere that was created in the ground you just felt the only worry I had was letting everyone down that was, that was my concern that I thought, God, we've played so well and we've played as well as we possibly can. You know, if we go to the Oval and, and, and we... I just thought if we play well and we lose, I, I'm, 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 I'm okay with that. But if we don't play well and we turn up like we did at Lords, mm-hmm. I'd, be, I'd be angry. So all, all the talk going into the last game was, lads, just be aggressive. Take them on. Don't worry about failure. Don't worry about getting out. Don't worry about being hit for four. Take them on. How are the Australians dealing with it coming into the last test match? Because you don't really see them until the actual game day, you felt that, you know, you knew that they would come hard at at the Oval. You know, they were such a a beast of a team and you knew that they were going to, like, put us under a lot of pressure. What didn't help us? And, you know, I I thought it was wrong at the time that the ECB had been in talks with the government about this open-top bus ride. And this celebration. and No pressure. And the the press got hold of it on the Sunday night. So we're one down. We're only just in front of Australia. And all the Monday morning papers were about this celebration
0: on the Tuesday and the team were going to get it down. We'd not even won. So Australia made three. uh, England, you made 373. Australia replied with 367. And some weather came. Well, they kept on going off a bad light. Yeah. didn't get that Hayden and
1: Langer put on a, I think he put 200 on Hayden off. Freddie, 138. Freddie got got off on the fourth morning it was the fourth morning he just said I'm bowling until they're out bowled the whole session and got him out got him out yeah and that's when we had a lead he just said and I said mate your body's going to set up some bowling until they're out
2: Flintoff charging in again, a short one. Warned, he's miscuted, and it goes in the air straight to the England captain at mid-on, and he takes the catch. Five wickets for the unstoppable Flintoff.
4: And
1: you know that's the kind of cricketer he was in 2005. It was like, and he knew that it was, you know, as much as it was a, a massive moment for for us as a team, it was a huge moment for Flintoff because. He was our talisman. He was, you know, he was the beefy, beefy in 81. And mm. Beefy did it all the time against the Aussies. And this was Freddie's time, you know, win the Ashes, be that, that star player. And he did that. He did that on that morning. Then we went out to bat, bad light, couldn't get off the ground quick enough. Sunday night, that's, it's hard to not have those, those kind of dreams when you're a day away of lifting the urn. It's a, it's a horrible but great feeling going to bed thinking I'm a day away, but it it felt so long. That last day was probably the longest day I've had in cricket. Because McGrath came out and Warney came out and got wickets.
0: Warney got six, but a fella who has appeared on the Howie Games by the name of Kevin Peterson <laughs> made 158. Warney dropped him. Yeah, did ya?
2: Brett Lee still striving for that crucial breakthrough. Steams into Peterson. Edge caught, dropped. Oh, dropped by Warned. Slipper was in, then it was out. What a moment! That could be in the series. Kevin Peterson dropped by Shane Warn.
1: But Kev pre-lunch when we lost the wickets and, and, and being a lead ball the quickest spell of the series he peppered him hit him and Kev was uh, I've never seen Kev like this I've never seen him before I've never seen him since but he was in there I just had my um, chicken in plum sauce <laughs> beautiful at yeah, the well the best chicken in the country oh, yeah. so I've had my chicken in plum sauce and we must have been 100 ahead 110 ahead still two sessions to play Yes, yeah, two sessions to play pitch is playing well forecast is good and I go in the dressing room and Kev's in the corner and he's, and he's shaking. And I'm looking and he goes, Skip, can I have a word? I said, yeah. I said, what's up? He went, I'm confused. I said, about what? And he said, I'm confused about the way I should play.
4: Hmm.
1: I said, I've just seen that. I said, Bingley drops it short, smack him into the stands. He said, really? I said, Kev, I said, you picked in the side to be aggressive. I said, just because we're now getting closer, you're not changing. I said, so the next half an hour when you get out there, you just try and whack it. I said, I'm not having you defend. I'm not, if you get out defending the ball in front of your face and it balloons to the slips, like it did just before lunch and it went over for four, I said, you're not coming back in here. I said, get out there and take him on. I said, an hour of you, we win. End off. And his eyes lit up. He goes, shut get out of and attack anyway he goes out to bat and I'm sat on the balcony he's, he's swinging and I'm thinking what a I done? <laughs> <laughs> what have I done balls going just over fine leg Tate he drops him at fine leg he gets one through the gap at slip and it was about 40 minutes and he'd scored I think he scored 40-50 runs
2: Peterson perhaps on the verge of something special Sean Tate comes in Bowls. it's up in the slot Peterson drives through the covers for four. Oh, he's done it what a time for your maiden Test hundred—an innings that could well win England the Ashes.
1: And then Ashley Giles strolled out there. Giles had never got a Test fifty, and the wheelie bin hung in there. Got behind it. The wheelie bin. Yeah, wheelie bin. We used to call him. Yeah, he was the king of the king of Spain. because he was known as the king of spin and uh, Edgebaston, where he plays. Uh, Warwickshire had, had, had sent off for some mugs. The king of spin, and they came back king of spain <laughs> <laughs> so he's known as the king of spain the wheelie bin the unit why the wheelie bin oh he just looks like one right. he's built like one
0: <laughs> king of spain
1: but kev went and i mean and that 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 feeling and I, and I always remember it was about one probably about 3 30 in the afternoon on the monday i remember it was getting to about 250 ahead and i remember just looking at duncan fletcher and i just shook his hand and I looked around the crowd and, and all the rooftops were just full of people. And clearly people have snuck into the ground that shouldn't have been there because every aisle, every gangway, you know, every, you know, the roof, the OCS stand-up was jam-packed. And for two hours, you know, the crowd just sang. And it was, it, I don't think I'll ever get that feeling again. Hmm. You know, just two hours sat there listening, knowing that, you know, the, the ashes were, were, co- were coming back.
2: And the umpires, Rudy Curtson and Billy Bowden, are about to walk out and ceremonially remove the bales. The match is a draw. And after an unforgettable series, the Ashes are England's.
1: And it, it was around that time that I realised what would beat them. Because throughout the old series, like getting, captain's about acting. It's about acting in front of your team and just giving them a little bit of a a false kind of message in a way like i knew the aussies were great i knew they were better than us but somehow i had to try and tell the team that they weren't you know and every day i'd say look Shane Warne he's it's just a leg spinner you know glenn McGrath's just 84 miles an hour seam ball. don't don't even don't even look at the name and what made me chuckle was we did have psychologists at the time but i left it up to the individuals you know if you want to work with the psychologist you, Absolutely fine. There's there's no problem with that. So there's a team. We do a little bits and bobs, and one of the the big messages that you know I was very keen on. And in the dressing room, we had these little messages. You, you face the bowler and not the name. You bowl to the batsman not the name. So by that, you're facing the leg spinner not Shane Warren You're facing 84 miles an hour not Glenn McGrath. Forget the name. Just play the ball. You know the human. That's all they are. The ball, good balls, but do not think about the name. I remember being in the dressing room afterwards and we'd lifted the urn and we're sat in the corner and having a bud with Fred and the Aussies started walking in and kind of sat there and were sipping and you're all a bit timid with each other to start with until mm. you've had a couple and you know, Sean Tate comes in Brett Lee, uh, Glenn McGrath uh, Gilly strolls through um, then there was Hayden and Langer they were always together they come in together and then the skipper Ricky Ponting walks in and then the King Warnie throws through the door and that's... Morning walks through the door, Freddie Flintoff looks at me and he goes, fucking hell, they're a good team, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I said, you're right, yeah. I think, I think we've conned a few this last few weeks. Yeah. I think you're right.
0: <laughs> More of Michael in a moment. In our last episode, the Howie Games went international with tennis legend Boris Becker.
4: What was it like when you are up the other end of the court from, from John McEnroe? What always worked for me against him is, I'm physically a lot bigger. That if he really gets out of hand, I wouldn't have minded him facing in the locker room without without the record. So that's ultimately what calmed him down. It's true. It's true. In the locker room is a very funny place. Uh, uh, and And, you know, what happens in the locker room usually stays in the locker room. So I always felt that if he's really that that unpleasant on the court, and if he you know calls me names and it just just gets out of line, I, I you know tell him, what are you doing? You know, it's, it's, it's we, we play hard, you win, you lose, but don't get personal. Otherwise, I get personal. So uh, so we're real competitors. That made for great matches because obviously there was a lot of lot of spice. So really throughout our careers, you know, we were always proper. Um, I would say enemies, but we were real, real competitors. We really didn't like each other much. Um, Fast forward, we are real buddies now, but that's thirty years on. But uh, McLaren was was one of the most difficult competitors you can imagine.
0: Please check out Boris and the entire back catalogue episodes in there for everyone and please continue to send your wonderful feedback which we love about the show to Mark markhoward03 on twitter instagram and facebook and spread the word for me with someone you think might like the show good on you all righty back to michael vaughan famous famous scenes the the bus um open top ride came through i think Ishigua told me that she had to jump off the bus and or had a wee in a glass somewhere. Isha told me something along those <laughs> lines. What was it like for you? Oh, the, the shots of Freddie and, and Kev and outside Downing yeah. Street and just looking like you just all rolled out of a nightclub. Well, we had. Right. We <laughs> had. I mean, Why then, yeah, Michael?
1: we had. I mean, Vodafone were our sponsor. They'd put on a party at Mahiki, the, the new trendy club in town. They'd also put on a party for us at the hotel. Um, we, we had no clue. I mean, We thought a few may come out and see us, but there were thousands, hundreds of thousands. We were like, this is cricket. And I always remember uh, going to this nightclub and then coming back to the hotel and there was was the the room that they'd set up for the team and all the family and guests were all in there. And Freddie had stayed in the the hotel. He couldn't go out. There was too many people wanting to see him. So he stays in the hotel. I go with the team at about 3.30. My head switches on. I think, oh, bit a bit worse for wear, but I've got to do all the press at half seven. Oof. Better get back. So I leave the team in Mahiki. I get back, there's cameras everywhere, they're getting back to the hotel. And I thought, oh, I'll just go and check, see what's happening. And I'd left Freddie uh probably four four hours early, pike in his white t-shirt, full of his mates from Preston. Like he had them all the time, his good good set of pals. And I thought I'd just go and chat. I walked in, he's there still, part of Guinness, not the so, <laughs> same white tea, So I thought, All right, Fred. Yeah, All right, skip. I said, Remember in the morning, half eight, suited and booted downstairs in reception, got to go on that bus ride. He's looking at me and go, No booger
4: will turn up. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> I said, well,
1: we'll see anyway. So I, I go up to me and have a sleep. And then I kind of had three or four hours, wake up, get my suit on, go downstairs. I said, go downstairs, get to the reception, and the manager, Phil, nearly said, uh, he said, skip, let's look outside the thousands. Huh. He said, everything's been pushed back by half an hour. Do us a favour, go up to the tea room, sign the bats and all the shirts for all the charities. I said, once your moniker's on the team, we'll follow went, All right. So I kind of crawl up the stairs, turn right, turn right, the party room, and I looked in, the big fella, jeans, white t-shirt, party guineas. Still going. <laughs> still going. <laughs> <laughs> So I had to shout it with Freddy suited and booted, and now I'll see you downstairs. Much oh, good, yeah. We one for the road. <laughs> <laughs> see you in an hour, mate. So I'm going to stand bats going upstairs, do the do the interviews. Half eight comes or quarter to nine, whenever it was. Phil Nils, he's a flapper. Phil, great guy, but he flaps. And they would made this funnel from um, all the hotel staff for us to go from reception to get on this double decker bus. Cameras everywhere, and it gets to about quarter no Flint's off. So the manager Phil says. Brody, where is he? I said, don't worry. I'm thinking, there's no chance to never turn up. All of a sudden he arrives down the stairs and he just comes down, his suit, obviously been done, he's tied by his missus and he comes straight to me. I always remember he just comes up to me and he whispers in me and he goes, Struggling, Skip. <laughs> <laughs> I says, don't worry, mate, we'll get you on the bus, we'll get you to number 10. I remember getting to number 10, a <laughs> true story. And i have got... The lads and there. I said, Come on, just make yourself look half decent. There'll be a lot of cameras there. I said, No, you probably, it's a pain in the ass, but come on, let's just uh, look half decent. We go into the garden, go down these steps into number 10 garden. And as we get in the garden, on the right is a table full of beer. And on the left, table full of wine. And I kid you, after a minute, Steve Armisen strolls up to me and goes, Skipper, got a problem. I went, Steve, what is your problem? He goes, The beer's warm. I went, Disaster, Steve. I said, Just make do. I said, we're only here for an hour and a half. I kid you not. Ten minutes later, the posh lad, Andrew Strauss, he walks up to me. He goes, Skipper, got a problem. I said, Straussie, what is your problem? He goes, the Pinot Gris is a little bit warm. (laughs) So I went, seriously, you guys? Uh, Anyway, there's a load of waitresses and waiters on this wall. And there's a little kid in the end. So I said, excuse me, sir. Can I have a wait? He said, yes. He said, "Uh, what can I do for you? I said, look, I said, don't want to be picky, but the beer's a bit warm. Wine's a bit bit warm any chance you can get some cold stuff shot up the stairs right five minutes later he's carrying this box of beers and he's got his mate carrying this box of wine wine he puts them down the last steam and I went oh thanks mate so I get twenty quid out of my pocket. I went thanks a lot mate thank you for that because said no no I can't accept that. I said of course you you're your waiter right and you he goes no, I'm not a waiter. I said if you don't mind who are you? He said said I'm you and Blair. <laughs> the,
2: the PM son.
1: PM son. he was four, <laughs> fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> 14 at the time. <laughs> we then had an hour or so there, and then we had to leave, and we got kind of kicked out. somebody pissed in the in, in the flowers. Not too sure who, but oh, sure uh, you're not I, sure. I think you can guess. And <laughs> yes. we had this last one duty to have the picture taken on the number 10 steps with the prime minister. So I will get all the guys in the in the in the, in the like the uh, in the tunnel just before we're going up there. I said, "Look, ties on again. Get it get it done up." I know it's, again, pain in us but it's a picture. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of keep this forever. That lads doing the tires, and we get to the steps, and we're stood there, and we're all as a huddle, and I'm next to Hoggy. And the, the Prime Minister's not there, so we we'll wait. And all of a sudden, he comes. And as he comes, he stands in between me and Matt Hoggard, and there's thousands of cameras opposite. And he comes and positions himself next to Hoggy, and we we're, we're all worse for wear. And he looks over to all the cameras and goes, oh, I wonder what all the cameras are here for. And Hoggy just looks at me and goes, to take our picture, you knob.
2: <laughs> you knob! Oh, no. He's dropped it on Tony Blair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you knob to the PM. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so,
0: so now, you know, how many years down the track are we? be it's, it's, Well, when the Ashes fires up, it is sort of 14, 15 years down the track. Since then, no one's been able to do it um, away from home. So England have continued on this vein of form and... Uh, How do you feel now looking back as the bloke that was able to lead a team to break a massively difficult psychological barrier and a huge drought for the English? Um, The the
1: best feeling I get about that series is the fact that cricket became cool. Right. That, you know, it, it was down to two teams. It wasn't, you know, the team that I had was great. They played it the way that I like the game to be played, which was fearless, aggressive, but smart at times. Um, that Australian team were an unbelievable team. And the fact that we only beat them 2-1 and they took us to the last session, and we couldn't play any better than that. You think we only got 40 wickets?
0: And made runs.
1: Made runs, got wickets, dropped the odd chance.
0: Yes,
1: But they were a great, great team. And I, I think the fact that the whole country were talking about cricket and kids again the best thing I get now is when someone comes to me and goes you know the reason I play cricket is because of 2005 mm. and that's I don't think you can get a better feeling than that and as much as we won and it changed you know it changed my life it changed many of the players lives and it changed English cricket because the belief that you can take on great teams was installed and and it installed in me that to to, to take on any kind of challenge whether it's business uh, you know sport the only way that you can take real big challenges is take risks. And it's about what risk you take at the right time. And we just managed to take risks and also you need luck. And again, you need lots of luck to go your way. And I do believe that you do the right things and luck does tend to sway your way. And, you know, from Ricky's decision at the toss to Glenn McGrath, all in over the board, Warney dropping Kevin Peterson on that last day. Um, there was... So many things, me winning the toss at Trent Bridge and Old Trafford. You know, they're lucky things, you know, but I think ultimately over the course of five games, we were the better team on that occasion. And, you know, when you you hear of over 10 million watching cricket and then you hear, you know, hundreds of thousands coming out to see cricketers celebrate, Mm. all right, we might celebrate a bit too much, (laughs) but I just thought it was great for the game. It was a real shame that it was the last time that cricket was on terrestrial TV in the UK that was, a, that was a real shame, I think the English board know now that they, they made a big mistake you know they should have kept a little bit I completely understand you know the kind of financial models and I, yeah. and, and, and what pay-per-view TV has brought to cricket has been fantastic in terms of the expense and and, and the investment and what it's done to English cricket and all the grassroots systems and, and the women's game has been um, great for it but You know, for for not every kid in the country to see it the year after in particular. You know, I think that was a big, uh, uh, well, it it, it
0: was a silly decision at the time. I don't think they needed to have made it. I did this with the King at the end, and you've been fantastic. This is going to be a great episode um, going back for the Ashes. It's going to hurt a lot of people in Australia, but we'll roll it out nevertheless. (laughs) I just asked you a series of whatever pops into my head. I want short, sharp answers. Yep. The typical ones to get underway with best batsman you played against in Test cricket Ricky Pond. Best bowler you've faced. Moralistran. If my hair starts to fall out, I should. Go to my company that puts it back. How do they
1: put it back? Just get it out of the back of your head, stick it on the top. And it'll work for me? Absolutely,
0: yeah. I don't think you're going there, are you there? No, I'm going okay. What's the hardest thing about playing test cricket?
1: The noise. The noise around it. What's, mentally.
0: What's the best thing about being a test cricketer? Travel. Being captain of England means to you Everything. How do you captain Freddie Flintoff? Just talk to him.
1: Get to know him. Understand him. Let him be. Let him be Freddie. How do you captain Kevin Peterson? Let him be Kev. No different. He was great. Loved him.
0: You were on Strictly Ballroom in the UK. Strictly Come Dancing. Should have won. Should have won. I've seen it. Clip was pretty good. You would describe yourself as a dancer as? Shite. (laughs) Shite. The World Cup, Cricket World Cup in England will be won by? England or India. (laughs) (laughs) The Ashes end result at the end of the English summer will be? 3-2. To Australia? England. Michael, we need to finish this because we both need to get on a plane to go to watch Australia play Sri Lanka in Canberra, but you haven't faced the question from the big penguin. Oh, So I've had pickle. Now you get the main man who has more fans on this podcast than I do. Here we go.
2: Hi, Vordney. Big Penguin here. I started playing cricket when I was six, and I was playing for the under-11s. And then I bowled a ball to a big kid, and he hit it straight back into my eye. It hurt a bit. I think I even cried. Has that ever happened to you when you were playing cricket?
0: Have you ever been hit nastily? Oh, Penguin. I have been hit plenty
1: of times. I broke my arm. Playing cricket. Playing for Yorkshire. Uh, Mike Smith, the left-armer from Gloucester in the 90s, got a ball of rear up off a length, broke my arm, broke my hand. Matthew Kazar C- for Northants, same, headingly, bounced off a length, broke my hand. Uh, I've had four knee operations. So unfortunately, Penguin, if you're going to be a cricketer, you're going to have to go through a bit of pain along the way.
0: Well pain comes with the game. I like how he said it was he started when he was six because he's now just seven. It was his very first game in the under-11s. He came steaming in. A 10-year-old cracked it back at him, and I thought, Mako, get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. And I thought, oh, no, and he sort of tried to get his hands up and dive to try and catch it. Bang, straight in the eye. First game of cricket. Good to have six six years old playing the under- – uh, hardball, was it? Hardball. Oh. Went home with a black eye to oh. see his beautiful mum first day. but he's back well I think that's a sign and I think any youngsters that
1: listen to this podcast you have to come back from failure and you have to come back from a little bit of disappointment and it's the only way that you become a cricketer is that if you think it's all going to be rosy, if you think you're going to get runs and wickets every day or take catches if you think you're not going to be paying free you're in the wrong game so it's how you bounce back and Penguin's back He's back. He's back. back. That's what you have to do. Get up and go again. Simple. Get back on the horse.
0: Catch catch the next one. Vaughn, it hurt me at the time because I was watching it in the pub, but to hear your description of the Ashes and the journey you went through has been outstanding. It'll be a magnificent episode. I hope it all goes well for you apart from the upcoming Ashes. How did you find it reflecting? Marvellous. Good. Yeah,
1: I enjoyed it. Nice views. Just uh, looking at your apartment block that's being built. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I look forward to the Ashes. I just hope England win because I've got to come back here and work for the next few winters. And, and I can cope with England losing here because we don't win often, but I can't cope with it up the Aussies winning in England for the first time since 2001.
0: I think you might find if England do win the Ashes that your contract won't be renewed. <laughs> You're a
2: star, mate. Really appreciate <laughs> it. Cheers,
0: mate. Michael Vaughan, one off sports, true gentleman. If you're an Aussie, eh, I'm thinking some of the 2005 stuff was a little bit hard to hear. If you're English, well, good luck to you. Thanks to Vaughan for being Vaughan. Thanks again to Anthony Hudson for his commentary wizardry and to Darcy Thompson for going the extra yards with his episode and putting it all together. The next episode drops in two weeks on Thursday, August the 15th with Andrew Gaze. Until then, peace and love.
4: And we can do it if we try, try, try.